Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I thought I'd save a little bit of time seeing that you guys were in your groups, but unfortunately, as the mic went awry, we went awry. If you just get back into your groups for a moment, please, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. Musical cheers. <laughs> so. So one of the songs says, your love never fails, it never runs out, it never gives up on me. Lovely that it says that, but what about other people? So today, just for five minutes in your groups, I'd like you to discuss witnessing. Is it important? Do we do it? And how do we do it? So just for five minutes, just throw that around and see what comes out of your group and afterwards, I'd like one or two just to report back, thank you, to report back to tell me what you think, if it's firstly, is it important? Do we do it? And how do we do it? So for five minutes, you could. Thank you, everybody. Are there any of you are brave enough just to report back on what your group discussed? Is it important? Do we do that? And how do we do that? Hi, thank you. Hi. So, um, yeah, we, we, many of us in our group have not actually ever spoken in church or witnessed or ministered in such a way, but uh, what we did decide was that wherever we are, whatever we do in an act of kindness or just reaching out to somebody or responding to a desperate need, um, taking a plate of food, talking to somebody, giving them a hug, um, just coming in the opposite spirit of somebody's kind of nagging at us and nya, 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 then just reaching out to them in love and just being positive um, is, is a way to testify to people. So, um, yeah, just allowing God's love and his, the power of his spirit to work in and through us um, is a way to, to minister and to talk to people. Morning everyone. Morning. So our group came to the agreement that um, witnessing is a relational, a relational thing and um, uh, as everyone also in the agreed in our group that it's being aware of the, of the prompting of the Holy Spirit um, to be present where he wants you to be present and also not to be um, as you rightly said, not be saying to the people or the person you're witnessing to, you know, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, but rather speaking about what has been done for us in our lives, but not ramming, you know, the word of God down their throat, rather doing it in a relational way where the conversation fits uh, and be, be aware of that prompting of, of what to do and how to do it. Um, and then if it's possible, 
just, you know, saying God is so good at the end, so that they haven't closed their ears yet, now their information is already in there, so it's a little bit late to not close your ears, <laughs> and doing it in that way. Um, and it was also rightly pointed out within our group that we should also be aware of where we're not giving glory, where we should be giving glory. You know, what opportunities are we missing out on um, in our daily walk, in our walk with our friendships, our families, our work colleagues, the strangers around us. And it was also, I don't know if I've said this already, our lives should be a witness to people, you know, um, and also being aware of where our lives are not um, bringing glory to God and not bringing true witness to God's glory, grace, and mercy. Thank you very much. So last week our, our life group had a, the privilege of, of sharing a meal together and one of the conversations that came about was that this person used to travel on a bus to work each and every day. She either sat next to somebody or somebody came to sit next to her and she'd start the conversation discussing the weather and that would then break the ice and by the time she got off the bus, she would give this person a track. And sometimes she'd even give each and everybody in that bus a track. I don't know, some of us know what a track is. I see some of us don't, don't know. But it's a short way of explaining the gospel. So what she did was that she made a journey as important as a destination. And this is what Christians are supposed to realize, that our journey is, is, is as important as our destination but sometimes we only have eyes there's heaven but as we go towards heaven we need to take a couple of people with us so thank you for that story uh, shall we close in a word of prayer father we want to thank you for this incredible journey we've been able to take through the book of acts lord we thank you that we are able to see the devotion and the dedication of men and women for the sake of the gospel. God, we have seen your hand move through this book, and so we ask that you would help us to have eyes to see your hand moving in our lives, Lord. Please, will you help us to be a witness in the midst of the struggles and the darkness and the difficulties we see in everyday life. Help us to recognize your goodness, your beauty, and your grace in our lives, Lord. Be with us today as we read your word. Speak to us, touch our hearts, and encourage us. We want to know you more, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, one of the verses in the books of Acts that stood out to me is found in chapter 1, verse 8. So, chapter 1, verse 8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. One verse that summarizes the whole book of Acts. The promise from Jesus Christ himself. We've come to the end of a riveting series looking back as the preachers unpack the series, we look at the birth and the history of the early church, persecution of the followers of the way, the various encounters of the disciples and their personal struggles. 
a series that has taught us so much about how we should and can live out this gospel as the church in the 21st century. Most importantly, Acts confirms the great missionary call to all followers of Jesus Christ, past, present, and future. And this, and, and that it is to take the good news to all the corners of the earth. So what was it that got everyone's attention? At the center of the gospel preaching in the early church was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the heart of the message. That's what got everybody's attention. So wherever the apostles went and wherever there was an opportunity, they would proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a quick recap, let's look at a few of these witnesses. The 120 witnesses, the followers of Jesus Christ, were all together in the upper room, waiting for the promise that Jesus spoke of. This was the day that the Holy Spirit came upon them. Peter the witness. He steps up with the 11 disciples supporting him. Who does, G uh, who does Peter mention? Jesus. Here we see the first sermon preached, found in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Then my favorite, Stephen the witness, the first to die for Jesus. An interesting thing about the witness is that when he stood up in front of the court, he did not defend himself or try to clear his name, but instead he gave a spiritual message of how they resisted and rebelled against God. This got the accusers mad, but Stephen hardly noticed because he only had eyes for Jesus. While facing death, his last words were still on behalf of those who were stoning him. This included a guy by the name of Saul. Acts chapter 7 verse 56 to 60 and he says Charlotte's congregation Right, Acts chapter 7 verse 56 to 60 and he said Behold I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when they had said this, he fell asleep. God opened heaven. Stephen saw, Stephen saw Jesus standing ready to receive his first martyr. Stephen the witness, the first martyr of the church. It's fine that the chickens in those are God's creations. Don't dress them out. It's fine. I'm glad that even the chickens want to come to church. Right. This call to witness came at a cost for the apostles. They were prepared to witness and defend the gospel at all costs. Are we prepared to witness and defend the gospel at all costs? Fast forwarding, we find Paul the witness on route to Rome. However, the journey to Rome is by no means a smooth trip. There are loads of action along the way. And so we conclude the series with chapter 25 through to chapter 28. I'll not be reading all the chapters, uh, but I will, however, make mention of certain verses in chapter 25 to 28. So in chapters 25 to 26, we see how Paul witnesses before kings and madmen. Festus, the new governor of, of, of Judea, needed help in order to keep the peace with the Jews. He asked Herod Agrippa's help in framing Paul of a crime worthy of sending him to Caesar in Rome. Neither man fully understood why the Jews hate Paul. Neither do they understand the gospel. Everyone was talking about the way. Even Festus and Agrippa wanted to learn firsthand from the apostles what the way really was. When, first, when, when Paul first turned to faith in Jesus Christ, God said there would be a day when he would stand before kings and rulers. This is the highlight of Paul's entire ministry, and he uses it to preach one of the greatest sermons on record. This isn't a court trial. Paul doesn't defend himself, but rather this is an open door for him to explain the gospel so that Agrippa would understand and turn to faith in Jesus Christ. Several hundred people filled the room, but Paul speaks only to King Agrippa, urging him to turn to Jesus Christ. Let's see the scene play out. With great ceremony, Herod Agrippa and his wife Bernice enter the court. Then in steps Paul, an unimpressive prisoner chained between two gods. Paul captures the interest. Because he is an intelligent man, and knows how to speak, not like me. They also notice the light of heaven on his face. Really, even with hundreds watching, watching, there was just two men in this room. One in purple, the other in prison garb. One on a throne, the other in shackles. Agrippa is a king, but in slavery to sin. Paul is a chained prisoner rejoicing in the freedom of sins forgiven and liberty in Christ Jesus. Agrippa is an earthly king who would not free Paul nor himself. 
And Paul is an ambassador of Christ, the king, who set him free and who could free Agrippa from the effects of sin. Paul wants King Agrippa to know this. A skillful passion fills Paul's soul as he pleads with Agrippa to turn to Christ. Paul stood now in front of a Gentile king and presented this gospel. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. Paul proclaims to this royal assembly that God stepped into man's history to do something for man. He demonstrated his love for us by giving us his son. And Agrippa, for what seemed a tortured soul, admits, You almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Chapter 26, verse 38. Agrippa has now heard enough. He heard about the way, and he heard the truth, and the way to life. Agrippa then stands and leaves the room. He concludes, Paul has committed no crime and would set him free except that Paul has to appear before Caesar. Paul longed to go to Rome to see the followers of the way, to establish them in the truth. And although he's going an unexpected way, Paul is now on his way. A short summary of, of, of chapter 25, Paul appears to the emperor, Festus talks to King Agrippa, Festus introduces Paul to King Agrippa. But passion is a powerful thing. When you are passionate about something, you have no issue in being bold to support it. Paul was passionate about speaking and spreading the gospel, and his boldness goes on display in Acts 25. Paul responds to Festus in verse 10 and 11 saying, I am now standing here before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Notice the tone that Paul uses to end his statement. He is on trial and could be sentenced to death, but because he believes in his actions and his purpose, he speaks boldly. Paul's passion for spreading the message of Jesus made him passionate and willing to face even death. When we catch on to this kind of passion for the gospel, we can gain a boldness that will change not only our communities, but a boldness that can spark a movement of God that will change the world. It's normal to view ourselves through the lens of what other people say about us. We craft our identity around the opinions of friends, teachers, bosses and parents. Paul was the same until he met Jesus. He was, the, he was one of the smartest and most devout Jews, a self-named Pharisee of Pharisees. He went to the ancient Jewish version of a university and was taught by Gamaliel, 
one of the greatest rabbis of Judaism. Yet when he became a Christian, he began to view all his past accomplishments as rubbish compared with knowing and following Jesus. He no longer found his value in his vocation, but instead found it in the truth that Jesus loved him enough to die for him. It was this revelation of God's love that propelled Paul into using his earthly talents for the purpose of heaven. We should use our gifts for God's glory and not just for our own personal and temporary gain. Acts 26, after finally receiving an opportunity to plead his case before King Agrippa, Paul instead chooses to share the story of his miraculous conversion to Christ. Why would he do that? Jesus is the hero of Paul's story. His life focuses on the message of the cross, offensive to some and unbelievable to others. Through it all, Paul focuses on Jesus and the eternity Christ offers, rather than the temporary consequences of this life. It is all about Jesus. Paul's attitude and focus is mostly clearly, clearly revealed in Acts chapter 26 and verse 29. I pray that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Paul understands that light and momentary trials achieve an eternal glory, far outweighing any hardship he faces. That's why, given this opportunity, he shares the gospel instead of begging for his life. Acts 26 describes Paul's trial before King Agrippa. This Helen was part of the same royal family that tried to kill Jesus as an infant and succeeded in executing John the Baptist. Religious persecution was not new, a new threat to these followers of Jesus. In fact, the early church was constantly arrested, persecuted, tortured and tried before powerful men. Even Jesus was crucified by the order of Pontius Pilate. However, when Jesus stood before Pilate, he reminded him that God is the source of true power. Therefore, let us not forget that ultimate power does not sit with the gripper, or heaven, or Rome, or the current political system. It sits in the hands of the Almighty God. So may this truth come to our minds when we fear what the future may hold. Our fate is never held in the hands of men and women in power. We need to remember that we worship a God who is and will always be in control. In chapters 27 and 28, we see Paul sharing this good news in Rome. The unexpected way. Paul is now on his last missionary journey, although this time he is in chains. That doesn't stop him from sharing the good news of Christ Jesus with everybody he meets on his way to Rome. 
Acts 27 reads like a ship's log, recording the voyage of travelers on their way to Rome. What great opportunity this gave Paul to bring the gospel to those traveling with him. Winter on the open sea would be dangerous. Throughout this voyage, the captain, the soldiers, and the sailors depend on the wits, on their wits alone. Paul, though, looked to God. Soon enough, Paul's ship is caught in a storm. To maintain control, they throw everything possible overboard. No one thought they would make it out alive. But it was in this storm that the men heard God's voice speaking to Paul. In Acts chapter 27 verse 21 and 26 we read, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life amongst you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, of God, to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you and all these who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. But we must run the ground on some island. So after two weeks of waves and wind, an angel of the Lord appears to Paul and assures him he would make it to Rome. He would stand before Caesar and God would give him the lives of all who sailed with him. So the crew hang on to Paul's encouragement like a lifeline. They finally made it across the Mediterranean to Malta, south of Sicily. All 276 survived, just as God had promised Paul. Imagine what it was like for the local people to watch hundreds of desperate people jump off the red boat and swim to shore. These locals generally or graciously accepted the strangers and since it was cold and rainy they started a big fire to help them warm up. As they sat on the beach warming themselves and as the fire uh, needed more wood, Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and threw them on the fire. He didn't realize a snake had grabbed hold of his hand. When the locals saw the snake hanging off Paul's hand, they superstitiously thought that meant Paul was a criminal. He had escaped the sea, but justice was catching up with him. Now his hand would certainly swell up and he would die. When Paul survived, the locals then thought Paul must be a god. Although they were wrong on both counts, it led to Paul and it led Paul to an important relationship Publius, the leader of the island. Publius' father was deadly ill when Paul laid hands on him and asked God to heal him. God answered, like other apostles, Paul's ability to heal was the proof 
that what you taught them was true. Paul stayed for three months with his new friends on Malta until he boarded a, a ship for Italy. When they made land, many brothers and sisters in Christ met them and engaged Paul in the Lord. In Rome, Paul has the freedom to live in a house, but is always guarded by soldiers. At first, many Jews crowd Paul's home, listening to him teach through the entire Old Testament, urging, urging them to believe Jesus the Messiah. As always, some believe and others do not. Then Paul takes the good news to the Gentiles, who already are gladly receiving God's gift of salvation. Acts 27, Paul's journey to Rome was frustrating. It would even frustrate me to be on sea for that long. Transforming or transferring from ship to ship, chained as a prisoner at the mercy of poor decision makers. Although Paul warned the captain that pressing forward would be disastrous, the captain listened to other, other people's advice and the ship crashed splintering into pieces. If everybody on the ship had perished but Paul, he would have been a free man. Instead, Paul accepted his, his role as prisoner and instructed everybody how to survive after the storm. Instead of bitterness, Paul saved other people's lives. He cared for others. How many of us can say that would we that we would have responded in the same way. Paul valued the salvation of others more than his own comfort. Do you value others' salvation more than your own comfort? In Acts 27, we find Paul on board a ship as a prisoner to Rome. As far as the captain and the crew were concerned, Paul was disposable cargo. Yet in truth, Paul had the insight that would end up saving everybody on board. Paul was at the bottom of the hierarchy and normally would not have been deemed worthy listening to. Yet even though his voice was ignored at first, Paul continued to speak and eventually his voice was heard. Have you ever felt like you've been overlooked or ignored? Life has a habit of bringing us into such moments. It is our response in such times to shrink back and withhold ourselves for fear of rejection. Or will we embrace the challenge of holding to our convictions despite the negativity? Paul didn't give up and many people reaped the benefits. Do not become tired of doing good. For at the right time, we will be rewarded for doing good. Acts 27 verse 35 says, And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Then all were encouraged and ate some of the food themselves. What an unforgettable sailing excursion 
This chapter is full of storms, struggles, strife, and ends with a shipwreck. And to think it all could have been avoided if they had just listened to Paul instead of the captain and their natural inclinations. Isn't that just like God? He will get us where He wants us to go, whether we want to go His way or not. Whether we want to go our own way, but ignoring His voice may lead to destruction, damage and loss. The crew gave up in verse 15, tried different sailing tactics in verse 17, tossed excess cargo overboard in verse 18, lost hope in verse 20, prayed in verse 29, attempted to abandon the boat in verse 30, and finally landed ashore with a broken ship, a battered crew, and prisoners. My favorite verse of this chapter is in the middle of this crazy shipwreck. It's a sacred moment. Paul celebrates communion with the crew. The day was dawning and a new land was near, so Paul encouraged these starving sailors to take a moment to eat. As they gathered, he took bread, gave thanks to God, broke it, ate it, and shared it with all those on board. Despite the unknown circumstances that lay ahead, they paused to give thanks and remember the Lord. I just love that Paul intentionally recognized Christ in the very center of this massive crisis. Once again, Jesus, once again, Jesus was with them in the storm. Acts 28 tells of Peter of Paul under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his appeal with Caesar. Rome is 4,000 kilometers from Jerusalem. Paul was in a different city, in a different type of prison, but he had the same purpose, to spread the gospel to all ends of the earth. Paul's life shows us that the good news about Jesus is not confined to a geographical location or people type. Even in Rome, great crowds, crowds gathered to hear the gospel, just as they did with Peter years prior to Jerusalem in Acts 2. Even the test of time cannot weaken the power of the gospel. The good news is just a power, as powerful today in our city as it was in the day of Paul and in Rome. Acts 28 verse 30 to 31 reads, he lived, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. These scriptures are the last two verses of the book of Acts and we see Paul continuing to run the race that God had called him to. I love reading Paul's story because it's such an encouragement. Paul had traveled for years, he'd been beaten, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd been bitten by a poisonous snake, 
and he was told that he would die. And despite all of this, he continued to love and serve the Lord God and proclaim the gospel. Just a few verses before verse 30, Paul is proclaiming the gospel to some Jewish people in Rome. And some received the good news, while others rejected it. As Christians, we often put unnecessary pressure on ourselves to try and save as many people as we can. However, even the Apostle Paul didn't convert everyone. He spoke to or came to in contact with. He didn't convert everyone he spoke to or came in contact with. Instead, he welcomed anyone to talk with him and proclaim the kingdom of God with boldness. Acts 28 verse 31 is an incredible epitaph to Paul's life and ministry. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul faithfully completed all God had called him to do. He faced difficult and challenging times in his life, but he never gave up and never let his circumstances deter him from serving the Savior. God accomplished his purpose in Paul's life because Paul said yes to God. Paul said yes to God. Would you surrender to God's purpose for your life even before you know what God will ask of you? Will you make this commitment to the Lord? God, wherever you say move, I'll move. Wherever you say go, I'll go. Whatever you say do, I'll do. The story of God's changing the world through the church doesn't stop in Acts 28. His work continues today with the passionate people who surrender everything to God and say with confidence, Yes, Lord, count on me. In closing, the movement of the gospel began in Jerusalem. Now it's going to all the ends of the earth. This book of Acts ends with Paul preaching the Lord Jesus Christ to everyone who will listen. But this record is not complete. The Holy Spirit continues to work today. The narrative of the church is, con is a continuing story that will end with the rapture of God's church. What will we do today in the power of the Holy Spirit? Will it be included in this final record? God continues to write his story in the lives of those who believe in him, even today. Our commission now is to continue being witnesses for Jesus Christ. The command is not only for the church as a body, but is also a personal command to every Christ follower. We are called to get the word of God out to the world for people to be saved. This is our part in the Great Commission. Are you a witness for Jesus? 
What are you doing to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus says that we are to take our testimony, our witness of him to all the ends of the earth. Matthew 28 verse 19 to 20 reads, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age of the closing prayer. Lord, I pray that as your people would see every opportunity of being around unbelievers as an opportunity to share Christ by a word, a prayer, or a deed, use our lives, Lord. I love that thought that the treasure of the gospel is in pots of clay. Foolish things, weak things, imperfect people, Lord. But you get the greater glory because of it. And we thank you for that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.